Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you for who you are, the wonder of you in, in all of your glory. And that you would reveal yourself to us. We stand in awe of you. Father, we pray that you would take your word and let it sink deep into our hearts. I pray that your word by your spirit's power would be transformative in our lives. That, that our lives would change. That people would see the difference you are making by your spirit in our very ordinary lives. And that through that, they would be drawn to follow. So Father, meet us in a special way as we look at your word. I pray that the gospel would be, would be dearer to us at the end of this service than it was even at the beginning of this day. And so Father, I, I pray that uh, we would be attentive to your word now. Speak through it. We're listening. We want to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you ever go to Disney World, you need to make sure that you catch the laser light show at the Epcot Center. It takes place outside at night, just before the park closes, and it's available to anybody who's in the park at that time. It's free. They don't want any particular response. You don't have to sign up for a timeshare presentation. Uh, you, you don't even have to get on a mailing list. It's free. They just want you to experience it. And you end up at the end of the whole thing saying, wow, I am privileged to be able to see this. It's an amazing show. Uh, fireworks and laser light choreographed with music. It's absolutely dazzling. You don't want to miss it. We're going to be considering light this Advent season for these next four weeks. The lights of Christmas. We're going to see in this season of ever-increasing light that the theme of light runs throughout the entire Christmas story. This week, we're going to consider light that dazzles, like the Epcot show Laser Lights. We're going to look at the story of the shepherds from the perspective of the light that they saw and find in that story three really great privileges that they were given. So we're going to look at, at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20, and I'd invite you to turn there, Luke 2, verses 8 to 20. Let's just have another look at it again and see, uh, see if this, this image of, of light uh, uh, strikes you, particularly where Luke uses the word glory. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy 
that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Three privileges that were given to those shepherds that night. And the first privilege was that of seeing glory. Seeing glory. Verse 9, the glory of the Lord shone around them. You ever wonder what that looked like? We just about have to leave the 21st century in order to appreciate the scene. At least we need to leave any place that has street lights and city lights. I was talking with someone who spent some time in Central Africa, and she told me you can look up at the sky at night and see every star that exists. Bit of an overstatement, but you get the point. We're limited in the number of stars we can see because of all of the light that surrounds us. But in Central Africa, there there is no other light. It's really, really dark. And the shepherds were in a situation like that. Really, really dark. They could see all kinds of stars, this pitch black all around them. And then this, the glory of the Lord shone around them. All of a sudden, they were surrounded by light. What must that have been like? I found a clue, oddly enough, in the life of the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 26, we find Paul speaking to King Agrippa, telling his conversion story. And he says this, about noon, so bright sunlight, full light of day. About noon, O king, he says, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. Paul tells his conversion story again in front of a mob in Jerusalem in chapter 22. And there he says this, my companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. And that's where I find the clue that links us to the shepherds because this word used here, brilliance, is the same word used for the glory that the shepherds saw. The glory of the Lord shone around them. The the, the glory, the brilliance, the word is doxa. We get doxology from that. Glory of God. 
Can you imagine the shepherds on that night when out of the pitch darkness, the blazing glory of God appeared? I wonder if they had any warning. You know, you'd think that, that maybe the angel might have cleared his throat before kind of peeling back the curtains, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, something big's about to happen. Don't want you to be scared. Well, the text doesn't give us any indication that he did. It says they were terrified. In the middle of a pitch black Middle Eastern night, the curtains parted and an angel stepped from the throne room of God into the presence of these shepherds and the hillside was filled with blinding light. The text tells us that what shone was the glory of the Lord, not the glory of an angel, but the glory of the Lord. The light the shepherds saw would have indicated the presence of someone who had been standing in the presence of God. To appreciate this, I think it'll be helpful to take a brief trip back into the history of God's people, back to Moses, the passage that was read a few moments ago from Exodus chapter 33. Moses longed to see the glory of God in all of its fullness. During the Exodus, Moses met with God and got instructions from him regularly. Exodus 33 verse 11 tells us that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with a friend. Now that doesn't mean that Moses saw God's face for reasons that will be evident in just a few verses. But it means there was direct interaction with them, not mediated by anybody else. It was direct God to Moses and Moses to God. And then it goes on to tell of a discussion they had when Moses asked for something that God wasn't willing to give him. In chapter 33, verse 18, Moses says, please show me your glory. And God's reply follows in verses 19 to 22. God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by, and then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. You can't see me and live, Moses. What Moses asked for would have taken his life. And I think, I think Moses would have probably said, that's okay by me to be consumed with your glory. I'm glad to do that. But God had other purposes for him, and so he put him in the cleft of a rock, covered him with his hand, and let him see only the afterburners of his glory as it had passed by. And Moses came down from the mountain, and his face glowed. And it scared the Israelites. 
They were afraid to come near him. He had to put a veil over his face because the glory of having stood in the presence of God was shining off of his face, and that was too much for the Israelites. Now, if that's the glory that shines off of the face of someone who has met with God, how much more glorious would be the glory that shines from an angel who lives continually in the presence of God? And if the Israelites were afraid of this glory on the face of Moses, having known Moses, having seen Moses go up Mount Sinai, knowing he was meeting with God and coming back, how much more frightening would this whole thing have been for a bunch of shepherds in the middle of a dark Middle Eastern night who were expecting nothing? Yet they got to see the glory of the Lord. Can we appreciate what they saw? Here's a, a boiled down attempt to get a handle on it. This is the best I can do. Any Indiana Jones fans here? Okay. All right. Uh, remember Raiders of the Lost Ark? Here, here's, here's this great scene where the Nazis are removing the lid from the Ark of the Covenant, thinking they are going to have some incredible power. They will win battles and uh, they, they can harness this power. And as they are taking the lid off, Indiana Jones says to Marion, who's with him, don't look, Marion, don't look, close your eyes. And the glory of the Lord, the best way Steven Spielberg can present it, comes out of the ark in a blinding light and consumes the bad guys. And so here's, here's this next picture, and you see the Nazi is kind of looking at his uniform. He sees uh, this light appearing on his uniform, and he's kind of going, uh-oh. <laughs> and what follows, I can't show you a picture of without scaring the children. Uh, you know, the, these guys just, just melt at the power of the glory that comes out of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if that, in some clumsy way, uh, shows something or anything of the power of the scene that the shepherds saw. It's no wonder that the text tells us they were terrified. Literally, they feared a great fear. It, it's a Hebraism that, that's creeping into the Greek language here, where, where the Hebrew language doubles up on a word that, that intensifies that word. They feared a great fear. They were scared out of their wits. And if you're the shepherds, what are you thinking? Uh-oh, right? Uh-oh, what's coming next? We're, we're doomed. We're going to die. And the angel needs to give a message of assurance in verses 10 through 12. He says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news of great joy. And that leads to the second privilege that they were given. They were given not only the privilege of seeing glory, they were given the privilege of hearing glory. Verses 13 and 14. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The curtain pulls back a bit further and reveals an angelic army. That's the word. It's an army, a stratia. We get our word strategy from that. Literally, the army of heaven, the host of heaven. And they're shouting, maybe singing. This is not a bunch of, of fluffy white angels with wings and feminine features. This is the army of heaven. We picture them singing. The text simply says, saying, glory to God in the highest. I picture them shouting this incredible news. Have you ever heard a, a military band or a military choir up close and personal? It's an amazing sight. There's nothing wimpy about it. I remember once uh, being at a Promise Keepers event for pastors, and they asked some people with really great voices to volunteer for this men's choir at this Promise Keepers event, and they gave them all t-shirts that said, real men sing real loud. I kind of picture these angels looking a little bit like that group. Maybe they're wearing robes, but the robes had to have said something like, real angels sing real loud, or there's nothing like singing the glory of God. You know, picture the scene. And the shepherds got to hear it. Ever wonder how long the angel army rehearsed for their performance on the night of the Savior's birth? Maybe a couple millennia? And now came the big show, and it would be given to a bunch of nobodies working third shift on a sheep farm. What do we know about shepherds? Shepherding may once have been considered a noble profession, but by the time of the birth of Jesus, it really wasn't. Shepherds couldn't observe the ceremonial law. They couldn't enter in fully to the life that uh, a Jew would want to enter into. And so they were looked down on by people who wanted to live righteously. How were shepherds regarded in the day that Jesus was born? I'll put it this way. You wouldn't want your son to be one. You wouldn't want your daughter to marry one. People who became shepherds at this time were mostly people who couldn't get a job doing anything else. And yet these were the guys who got to hear glory. Does that make a statement about the grace of God? He chooses insignificant nobodies and pours out on them an incredible display. You might even call it lavish. And that's how he deals with us. We didn't deserve salvation any more than those shepherds that night deserved to be told of the birth of the Savior. But God is rich in mercy and grace. And he gives us things we don't deserve. 
It's almost as though he went looking for the least likely candidates to pour out this lavish display on. As if to say, if I can do this for the least likely people on earth, you will understand that it has nothing to do with deserving it. It has everything to do with grace. That's why I'm still amazed by grace. The shepherds were recipients of grace, and that's how God deals with us. There's a third privilege the shepherds got that night. It was the privilege of giving glory. Verse 20 tells that the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They saw glory, they heard glory, and they got to give glory. And you may wonder how that third one even fits in. How can we give anything to God? How can we give glory to God? Doesn't he already have all of it? Yet the shepherds gave him glory, and we can too. How do we do that? We do that by recognizing that any glory that comes our way really belongs to him. Giving him glory is pointing to him as the glorious one. It's upholding him and his worth as the greatest value in the universe. You may watch a little football this afternoon. You may see someone get to the end zone with the football. And you may see that person thump his chest and point upwards. There are, there are some athletes who want not to get the glory themselves, but to send it where it really belongs, to the one who deserves it. And what they're saying in essence is, you're looking at me, I want you to see him. The glory's not mine, it's his. He gets the glory. The shepherds got an incredible display that night from an army of angels they got to go to Bethlehem. They got to be the first to see the Savior of the world. But they didn't walk away from there saying, we must be pretty special for God to show us all of that. They went away from there giving glory to God. They could have been proud of what they had seen. Instead, they gave the glory to God. There's an element of pop theology out there these days that says, you must be very important for God to have given his son to save you. Have you heard it? It sounds pretty good to modern ears until you realize that it lifts us up at the expense of the glory of God. The truth of the matter is that it wasn't because of our importance that God sent his son to save us. The truth of the matter is it was because of his grace that he sent his son to save us. And you'll never fully appreciate the grace of God until you realize that it wasn't anything you had or anything you did or anything you were that made God feel a need to save you. It was nothing but his grace. And when you recognize that, you can give glory to God. 
Verse 20 tells us that the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. Ever think of that? They returned. What did they return to? Sheep. They returned to being shepherds. They returned to their third shift on a sheep farm. They returned to their ordinary lives. But they returned as changed people. They returned having experienced the glory of God. They saw it. They heard it. And they gave it back to the one who deserves it. The glory of God. It it meets us. It dazzles us, it transforms us, and it sends us back to our ordinary routines as extraordinary people. People who've been touched by the glory of God. Sends us back to demonstrate the difference that God has created in us and to make a difference through us in the lives of others. The glory of God is dazzling. God shows his glory to insignificant people like shepherds and children and homemakers and geneticists and IT people and veterinarians and dentists and factory workers and pastors and all the rest of us. In order to meet us where we are, to touch us with his grace and to send us back to live as changed people. The shepherds saw glory and it scared them to death. The shepherds heard glory and realized how undeserving they were. And the shepherds gave glory to God, recognizing him as the one it really belonged to. You wanna see glory? Hebrews chapter one, verse three. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Want to see glory? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Want to see glory? Look at Jesus. In him, we experience glory. We see it in his face. We hear it in the praises of his people. We give it to him as we live lives that are surrendered to him. Lives that say, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Pray with me, will you? Father, we desire to experience your glory more and more. And yet we realize your glory was revealed to us in the person of your son, the Lord Jesus. And in him, we get a glimpse of glory. The glory that is to come for all who trust in him. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who needs to take that step of trusting 
in the Lord Jesus. That person would simply say, Lord, I understand. I am a sinful person. I can't hope to save myself. But there is one who came to be the savior of the world who went to the cross for me to bear my sin that I might be forgiven, that I might live in relationship with you. I want that. So Lord Jesus, would you come into my heart right now? Live in me and transform me into your very likeness and I will look forward to living with you forever. So Father, I pray that as we enter this season of Advent, the season of increasing light, that our hearts would be drawn more and more to Jesus, the light of the world, and that our lives would be transformed more and more into his likeness. We ask it in his name. Amen.